Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Three and a half years ago on the outside, my next guest had it all. A great job. Her dad and her sister with her were regular participants in Gogglebox Ireland. She seemed happy. However, something very sinister was going on as she was in the grips of anorexia, lying to family and friends about what she was eating and she became completely obsessed about food and exercise. Her condition was so bad that her family had to intervene and she was hospitalised. Now three and a half years on, she has her life back. She's working as a broadcast journalist for Shannon Side Northern Sound Radio. She's maintaining a much healthier lifestyle. As this week marks Eating Disorder Awareness Week, she reached out to us and wanted to share her story about how an eating disorder can take hold and to raise more awareness. I'm delighted to have Sheila Nocton with me on 11 to 1. How are we doing, Sheila? Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you so, so much for reaching out because I know this is not an easy conversation to have. And uh, I will read this number again, by the way, for BodyWise 01210706 if you need help by anything that we're discussing. When did you first start being strict with yourself, Sheila, on what you ate? Was it something that sort of gradually happened with you or was it triggered by something that somebody said about how you looked? So um, I suppose there's two uh, starting points, really. So there's the starting point I thought it was, which was obviously in 2017, I was diagnosed. And when I first went in for my assessment, they asked me how long had this been going on? And I told them five months. And this the consultant almost laughed and was shocked because she said, that's such a short amount of time for you to get so unwell. And obviously, but that was just when I had gotten so strict. I mean, as in bare minimum in terms of food and um, had just deteriorated physically so fast. Um, So that happened, I thought, within a five-month span. But really, it was only the extreme um, uh, nature of my illness that that happened in those five months. When the actual starting point, really, and I won't do the entire timeline, Mm. but the first time I ever weighed myself, I was seven years of age and I stood in a weighing scale in my granny's house. I remember the numbers. I remember what I was doing. I remember the sound of the scale. Um, and then that graduated up until like the age of, say, 11. I was pulling at my stomach, trying to make myself look thin in a mirror, like all these different things. Um, so those were all things that happened over like years when I was a child. But then, you know, you asked about was there a certain trigger? Yeah. There was just things throughout life that I never addressed or never acknowledged that ended up culminating in me feeling this way. So I was horrendously bullied in in secondary school and I didn't know because as you know, lots of teenagers very good at at laughing things off and putting a brave face on things and I always did that but 
I had a huge focus on, I was never overweight, but the boys in my school, for some reason, and to this day I don't know why, decided that I had I was too muscly. And they focused on my legs and they told me I was a she-man. They told me I looked like a man because I had muscle. At the same time as picking me first for the teams because I was good at sport. So, you know, it was... It was this thing that just sat with me of, I don't look like a girl and I'm not pretty enough or I'm not feminine enough. So maybe, just maybe if I could get rid of, you know, this muscle, wouldn't that be just just fantastic and they'd leave me alone? And then, of course, life happens as well. Then as you get older and, um, you know, personal things happen and mm. then I, I we had lost in the family and... Um, you know, so all of this eventually came to a point of the five months before I got sick. And I mean, I was on, on diets. I, I should point out like that, you know, all through secondary school, I put myself on diets and mm. I did various different things and same in college as well. So it all then <coughs> culminated into being really, really unwell in five months. I mean, when you, it, it just goes to show, you know, the, the deep, profound effect, things like bullying, somebody mentioning things, commenting on, you know, how you look can have such an effect on you. You know, thoughts about food and exercise then became all you thought about. I can't imagine how torturous that must have been for you. That, you know, that's exactly, exactly the word. It's torturous because anybody who knows anyone has an eating disorder, they are often, they want to understand, but they can't. But it is like being in a little prison because you can't say no to what that voice tells you to do. Like you, you are absolutely, when you're your sickest, you are powerless. So, you know, I started doing exercise. I was always into sports, but it became exercise and gym, which are two very different things. Mm. And I was just, you could not get me not to exercise. So I would cancel events. I would stop seeing friends all just to go to the gym. And I mean, I was going at, you know, I was working a full-time job, had been just graduated from college and I was going to the gym at 11 or 12 at night or four or five in the morning to make sure that I could go for like two, three hours. There was times where I was injured. I remember I dislocated my knee and it was really sore but I was still like do you know what you can push through like you yeah. can push through actual <coughs> physical ailments because the voice tells you to and then on top of all that then when you're exercising and you know you're being I put this in quotation marks healthy you're like oh well I might as well control my food as well isn't that what everybody who's healthy does but when you are in the mindset of of doing an all or nothing person like I am it means doing it at full force and I just like it became a point where it was how long can I push this out? How long can I wait to eat? Um, oh God, I'm now afraid of this food. I'm now afraid of that food. And it just became like a mind. I couldn't think of anything else. And you're going to bed at night and you don't sleep because mm. you're just, all you're thinking is, well, I have to get, I can't believe that in the morning I have to get up and do all of this again. Yeah. And it's horrendous. And when you notice that you're dropping weight and you have to go down dress sizes, did that make you feel good when you were in that unhealthy headspace? You know, it's it's what's funny about the the whole the weight loss thing is that people would often ask me, they'd say, "But do you not think you look fine?" And you know, what I remember the nurses asking me, "What's the end goal?" Mm. And I was like, "You know, there isn't one." Yeah, like there honestly isn't one. So when I was dropping these dress sizes, or and I would also like just say that there's an awful lot of eating disorders where you've no bodily changes, and they're actually nearly more dangerous because people don't see them. But for me, I was dropping dress sizes, and and I knew people were concerned. But to be honest, the comments were. I noticed what I noticed was the comments went from, "Geez, you must be working out. You're looking great." To, "God, where have you gone?" Yeah, and I kind of thought, "Oh." I went home to my dad one day and I said, that's not a compliment. And mm. I was like, you're right, it's not. 
but it encouraged me. So any comment around you're losing weight or you're dropping sizes, the eating disorder voice goes, it's working. I'm doing a great job. Keep on going, girl, because you are doing brilliantly. And these people are all noticing. So when you're dealing with someone who has an eating disorder, you think you're helping by saying, oh, no, you look awful. You've dropped weight. Yeah. But actually, the eating disorder voice then goes, amazing. It's working. That feeds yeah, into I it. That's that. really oh, that's yeah. really important, actually, that people know that as well. Now, you know, you were hiding this so well, you know, from the, your family until everything changed when you sent a picture to your dad. Isn't that right? Yeah, so as you said, I mean, it is the most secretive illness. It honestly is, especially as well things like bulimia as well. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, because, and a binge, because you can do all of these things privately and secretly. And the eating disorder tells you, don't tell anyone because do you know what they're going to do? They're going to take me away from you and you're nothing without me. And I felt like I was nothing without this eating disorder. I felt like all my achievements, they really didn't matter if I didn't have this thing, which is so sad. But I really felt like I was worthless without it and I didn't want anyone to take it from me. So I just didn't say anything. It got to the point, you know, I was wearing things that maybe would cover so that you mm. might notice that I was losing weight or, you know, I just wasn't going home. And eventually I'd sent a photo of, of me at work one day outside. And, do you know, I wonder if secretly I was asking, because I never asked for help, but yeah. I wanted help. And my dad said, my God, we have a problem. And he showed my mum. And my sister was also living in Dublin at the time. And she saw me in the gym one day. And the minute she, and she stood with me in the gym while I did my workout and I didn't know why and immediately rang my parents and said, we have a problem. Um, and then there was the intervention and they came. But also before that, I had done little things like I rang my dad and said, I don't really feel well. Can I call in sick to work? And he said, is this a long-term thing or is this a day thing? And I was like, I think this could be a long-term thing. Yeah. So I knew and I was slightly asking for help, but at the same time, the eating disorder didn't want me to ask for help. And, you know, we're calling the eating disorder the eating disorder, but you have called her Janine. And I think that's a really powerful way of getting back the control and not punishing yourself for what happened. Has it helped having the anorexia, the disorder, be called Janine? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have had so many people tell me I shouldn't have done this. And it's funny, like, you know, what works for me won't work for somebody else. Mm. Some people have often asked me, oh, should I name mine? And I'm like, if you don't feel like you should, then don't. Mm. The reason that I did was because Sheila is an outgoing and fun and loving person who loves her friends and loves being with her family. And suddenly I was horrible. I was Mm. nasty. I would scream and shout. I I did not laugh for about two years. I didn't smile. I had no emotions. And all I thought was, that's not me. Like, that is not... And I feel awful that people would think that's me. So when me and my sister sat down, it was actually when I was inpatient. I had two inpatient stays. And during my first one, I said, I want to name this. So we had to think of a name of someone who we didn't know. So I'm sure there are lovely Janine. Yes. We don't know any. <laughs> um, but so we came with Janine, and I just thought, you know, that helps me now when I'm describing it. Mm. So if I'm in counselling or if I'm trying to explain to someone what it's like, I can say, so Sheila knows that a potato isn't scary but Janine tells me that they're terrifying and will make me cry so like I know that Sheila would, would know that that's irrational mm. Janine tells me that it's totally logical and that I have to I have to react in this way to this thing 
You know, a lot of what you're describing is, you know, a lot of people I'd say can relate in terms of that other voice that comes in, that creeps into our minds. You know, I talk an awful lot about mental health, you know, issues. And from my own experience as well, battling with a mental health illness, I called it the other Sinead. That's what I called it. Uh, but I know exactly that that voice is there and that voice will tell you these things. And, and it can be very, very difficult to get that control back. But life is good for you now. You're very much in recovery. How do you keep yourself on track like I know from following you on Instagram which is a fantastic uh, 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 social media to follow that you have quite a few really healthy ways of coping and staying on track yeah, so I suppose I, I always just make it really clear like that I'm not recovered. I don't consider myself recovered. I've lots of little things that I still have to work on. But the way I describe it is that I'm no longer in danger. So I mm. don't see myself ever ending up back in hospital again. That's the ultimate aim because also I was once told by a professional I was going to be a revolving door patient. Oh, wow. That I would be in and out every six months. And, you know, that actually encouraged me. And I was like, how dare you not have mm. faith in me? I have faith in me. So I'm not a danger to myself or I'm not a health risk, but um, I wake up every single day and have to convince myself to go and eat and stay on track and not go, relapse like every mm. single day. It's like the alcoholic, you can't take a sip. Um, so I decided the first lockdown wasn't great for me. I got a bit of an addiction to exercise again, had to be put on a four week ban. And then after that, I was like, I'm going to have to do something here now to stay on track. So I decided to look back at all of the therapy that I had done and all the little things that I had been given that maybe at the time I wasn't actually really ready to use. Mm. And um, I started to do a daily, like I call it a task because I like to feel like I've achieved something. But the task is as simple as, um, you know, you go for a walk and you try and pick a colour and you find that colour on your walk so that you're not just in your head thinking the whole time. Um, and, and I just post these little tips up that I think that other people you don't have to have had an eating disorder oh no absolutely not it's it's yeah. so helpful for anybody and a lot of it is about self-care and what I yeah. love is you posted recently kind of about you know just letting yourself be just you know doing whatever you want that day relaxing even if it's just on the couch or whatever it is and I love that and you're very much as well about kind of preparing your meals and making sure that it's all there ready to be eaten do you enjoy eating now? So yeah that's it's a funny one because, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I just don't understand it. Like, I love my food. Mm. People with eating disorders, we don't hate food. The problem is we love food. Like, I was sitting in hospital and I was looking up pictures of food being like, oh, my God, I wish I could eat this. Like, your head doesn't let you, but it doesn't mean you don't love it. Like, it's that you you will not allow yourself or alternatively, you allow yourself too much, you know, depending on mm. what the thing is, or you feel a huge amount of guilt when you have it. So you do love food. It's just that your relationship with consuming it is bad. And um, there was a while there where it was a really weird, like almost a perverse thing where I would only eat foods in recovery that I did not like because I didn't want to allow myself to enjoy food, which is horrendous. Horrendous. Well. Like so I much punishing of yourself. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was eating, but I hated it. And then I suddenly was like, what do I actually like to eat? There was a lot of things I discovered I don't like. Um, and then there were things I just I said, you know, I really like that. Let's include that. And now I look forward to them. Um, there's no point in me pretending that I don't have thoughts of restriction or I don't yeah. have little behaviours that I still do around my food that, you know, are not helpful for anyone to hear. But I still do them. But at the same time, I do look forward to coming to my meal. Having said that, the meals still are extremely structured and I eat on a clock. So yeah. I don't feel hunger. Um, so I will... I. And, and I had a question yesterday. Someone said, I don't feel hungry at my snack or meal times. Should I still eat? 
Absolutely. Yes. Because that's the thing. Your body suddenly is like, well, I haven't been hungry for years, so I'm not going to start now. So I eat on the clock and I do look forward to the time that I'm going to get to eat now. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, we, we mentioned at the start, it is Eating Disorders Awareness Week. This is very much why you reached out. For people who may be listening, who recognise some of these behaviours that we've been talking about in themselves, maybe they're hiding this from their family. What would you like them to know, Sheila? So really, really important is that you're never too early in your journey to get help. I Like, I promise you, you even if you end up, you know, people often say, is it a phase? Is it this, that and the other? Great, if it's a phase, fantastic. But why not get a little bit of help now while you're in that phase to stop it from developing into something more? Like, you are absolutely worthy and justified of getting help, even if you're just having little, tiny, little niggling thoughts about how awful your body looks or body image or, or food at all. Um, you need to get help sooner. Like, you do not want to end up in an inpatient system because your journey back is so much longer. So for the person who is struggling, I would say have the conversation and be really honest about what it is that you're going through. For the family member, never ever say that this is a fad diet or that this is is just a phase because that totally makes the person feel like they're not validated at all. It makes them feel like they're not heard and just being open about the conversation and not embarrassed about it. It's the same as any mental health issue. You know, even when it comes to uh, the family and they say, oh, well, what's wrong with why not be honest about it the honesty was what did it for me where Mm. everybody knew and everyone supported me so I would say get help sooner rather than later and also to say to people if you are supporting someone currently who's in treatment or in recovery unfortunately for you you cannot make them better and it's awful as it is and having to watch them all you can do is give as much support and be there for them no matter how awful they are to you they will love you forever for what you've done but you cannot make them better and it's okay to take a little break from them and if you're in recovery no matter how many times you fall back you'll never go back to that first day of recovery so just like get back on it and go again because I promise life recovering is so much better than being sick Sheila, I think you're incredible. Thank you so, so much for speaking to me. It's not easy to have this conversation. I'm so happy uh, for where you are today and that you're living a happy life. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. No, thank you for having me. It's always, it's just brilliant to be able to feature it. So thanks. Not at all. Sheila Nocton there. And again, if you're affected by any of the issues raised, you can check out BodyWise. They're bodywise.ie. They also have a helpline 0121079906. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.